0: listening to the jersey guys podcast the show that talks about hard rock heavy metal aor and west coast music in-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap so settle in and turn it up now here are your hosts tom and mark
1: Hey everybody, this is Mark from the Jersey Guys Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode. Today, Tom and I talk with Charlie Cal from the band Angel. And we get all the updates on Angel, what's going on with the band these days. And we also talk to Charlie about his early career when he was involved in a band named Shotgun Symphony. Uh, the band released four albums back in the 1990s. And we talk about other projects that Charlie's done over the years, and also we talk about a brand new venture that Charlie's been in the last couple years with a record label named Deco Entertainment. So there's a lot of stuff we cover in this episode. It was a good one. We really enjoyed it, and we hope you guys do too. So let's get right to it. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow. Uh, Welcome to the Jersey Guys podcast. I'm here as always with my co-host Tom Coyne, and today we've got our special guest Charlie Cal from Angel. How you doing, Charlie?
2: Mark, Mark, great to great to hear from you, man. Um you know I'm glad you made it out to the uh the show last week. Sorry
1: I missed you. But how uh so how how's how's how you doing in this crazy world of the last uh, year and a half? How's things going with you?
2: Good. We I've actually been really busy uh not playing, unfortunately. I mean we put the uh you should call it the Angel Reunion record out towards the end of 2019. You know, had a big year planned for twenty twenty. You know, we were doing you're gonna go come back to North America. I think we had some of the UK, European stuff booked, we had Japan booked, we had Australia booked, and then it just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> the record kind of came out, I mean, it, it was well-received, and we were really hoping to tour, you know, pretty extensively for it. And uh, the only thing we really got to do, we went out and we did the Rock Legends Cruise, which was, I think, the end of February, uh, beginning of March. And we literally got back from that, and that's when everything got shut down. Yeah. So, that was the extent of that.
1: Wow. Well, I have to say, uh, basically, congratulations on Risen, the new Angel album, because uh, it seems the last year and a half didn't really exist. So we're going to consider that to be a brand new release still.
2: No, thank you. Yeah, I was uh, obviously real excited to do it. I I think it came out really good. Um, I think it was very well received. Uh, You know, obviously, we're playing a couple of the tunes in in the live show now. You know, being that so much time has gone by, we've actually already finished another record, which will be out next year.
1: Well, I wanted to get to that in a, in a few questions for sure, because I was going to ask you about that. What was it? What's it like? I mean, you guys played uh, two weeks mm-hmm. ago in Jersey. You did a, a date in Pennsylvania. And I think you have, what, two shows coming up in Illinois next week. So how's it been getting back to playing shows again?
2: It's great. You know, we actually uh, you know hadn't played together you know since we got off the cruise. And I, I actually hadn't even seen Frank, I think. Well, we did a photo shoot for the for the new album. But other than that, we hadn't gotten a room together since then. So we got together um, at a place we rehearsed here in Jersey. And we just kind of just got together two, three days rehearsal, you know, put the set together. And uh, it was great to get back out there. You know, uh, it was a little weird because like a lot of time had gone by. And, and usually I'm pretty good remembering stuff. But I was kind of like brushing up on the stuff the day before rehearsal. And I was kind of like... Holy shit! I I, got, I really got to brush up on this stuff. Some <laughs> stuff completely left my memory banks. But you know, once you got back in there, it was it, it was fun, and uh, I thought the shows were great. I thought they were, they were uh, well received. You know, it's obviously great to get back out there and play.
1: Yeah, definitely. I thought the show was great. Uh, well, talking about the, you mentioned about the new album. What what's can you tell us a little bit about that? When that's going to come out,
2: and and anything about mm-hmm. that? I'm guessing February or March at this point originally we're trying to get it done quick enough to get it out this year um but it it just didn't happen yeah Uh, we had a a couple delays with with finishing the recording and the mixing just because of the situation you know with with covid and everything but it is done uh there's 14 songs on it uh i cannot reveal the album title yet there's some uh there's some cool stuff we got like said there's 14 tracks all kind of very different um there's a couple uh tracks i i would probably say you know and liken it to you know hell of a band and and the and the first record Hmm. uh one tune in particular that i think is going to open the record is probably very i don't want to say like the tower but you know kind of reminiscent of that which is is something i don't think they kind of have revisited since then uh then there's some more uh stuff you probably wouldn't expect we have a, a couple of really good tracks we have some uh some female background singers on um Little kind of, I don't want to say R&B, but just, you know, a little bit different. You know what, like all the, I mean, all the Angel records were always different, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and very diverse, and, and I think that carries on to the to the new record as well. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, we were,
1: I was talking with Tom about that earlier, just before we uh, got on air here, and, and we were saying about how the albums, you know, and the first album, and then as they went forward, each album was, like, different, you know, and it was, some got a little more poppier as they went f- further into the career there. Yeah, definitely.
2: By the time they got the sinful, I mean that was a that was a pretty polished record, um, and I and I like that. You know, I mean I love that kind of stuff. I mean that that's that's kind of the stuff that that I'm into. Um, although I love the first records too. I mean I think um, you know Greg's playing and stuff on on the first couple of records was just so erratic for for lack of a better word i mean the 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 solos and stuff were just kind of all over the place um very hard to try to learn and, 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 uh, and duplicate um where you know as you got into like white hot and, and sinful it got a little bit more polished um a little bit more of like what i'm about you know kind of like the bigger string sounds and a little more orchestrated mm-hmm. uh than kind of the soloing stuff that was on the earlier records they definitely progressed i mean you know from being more of like a progressive band to more of
0: a, a pop kind of band
2: you know, right like Well,
0: I always felt, Charlie, that the early Angel was one of the first American bands to really do what the British bands like Emerson, and Palmer, King Crimson, Yes, were doing. With Mm -hmm. the overblown keyboards and uh, very dynamic, exaggerated, pompous
2: arrangements. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, definitely, uh, I think a lot of the UK fans are like, so into those first two records, so, well, I am too, and yeah, it's <laughs> really cool stuff. I mean, you know, I remember hearing the tower and be like, "What the heck is that?" Like, you know, where, where, where is he pulling these sounds from? You know, and then you know stuff like the fortune and and uh, you know the last time around we were doing broken dreams and tracks like that, and they're just they're you know the arrangements are interesting. You know, and a lot of you know long time. You know, very kind of epic sounding all track. Time.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it to me, it's it's a monumental record, and they did change the sound along the way. They, it, I liked all the albums, but honestly, to me, they never did anything that top the first one. Yeah, it was it, yeah, just coming out of the box, where it's just like, wow. Yeah, for know, its how- time, it was it was really epic for its time, and and it's dated tremendously well. That that album.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I saw today. I was just reading uh, on thing was on Facebook, maybe on the Angel Facebook page. That today I think is the 46th anniversary of the debut album release.
2: These are really wow, wow,
1: yeah. crazy, right?
2: Yeah. Oh my god.
1: So I wanted to get to talk a little bit about the the new album, Risen, uh, which came out in 2019. But when I saw mm-hmm. you guys two weeks ago, uh, you did, did like three songs, I think, uh, from the new album. Yeah, and we did.
2: Uh, what we did? We did Under the Gun. Uh, we were the wild and slow down.
1: Right, I thought slow down was great because I think you know the album version and then live you guys kind of got to expand it a little bit and everybody kind of got to get a little bit of their you know their parts in there, right?
2: Yeah, I mean that's a great tune. I mean, and that kind of you know the beginning of slow down kind of likens back to the to the first couple records. You know, it's kind of got that that riff almost like Broken Dream starts. So you know, that that kind of riff that right. starts. Um, but yeah, that, that that's that's a great tune. I enjoy playing that. I, mean, I enjoy playing, you know, all, all the stuff. You know, I mean, it's nice to obviously play the new stuff because I actually played on it, so you know, that, right? That's extra fun.
1: <laughs> I thought the the track 1975 was pretty cool. It's it's got a real like cool vibe to it. And it's got well, of course, you, you get to get like a two minute kind of keyboard intro, right?
2: Yeah, I I love doing that. I mean, you know, Punky kind of came down and just said, you know, you know obviously, you know, don't do the fortune but just kind of think of that and come up with a really cool intro piece to the song he had in 1975 and uh yeah I, mean, I I thought that came out great i mean uh i, I actually wound up mixing that that intro myself here at, at my studio Oh, okay uh, and, uh, yeah I, I love doing that and i really tried to capture you know the earlier angel sound yeah and that's probably that's probably my favorite track on the record 1975 i think it's got a great vibe and uh you know, from start to finish, it's just really cool.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. I, I was wondering, is that something you guys would ever consider doing live? Or it's, maybe it's a little hard to do. You got the some of the female background vocals at points there.
2: I, I mean, I'd love to do it. You know, the, the biggest disappointment I have from that record is we never got an opportunity to actually do a video. And we and I was really hoping that, like, 1975 would have been the, the big video because we had some ideas of how... You know, we would, we would kind of, you know, pay homage to the old and then obviously with the new band and stuff. And we had some really cool concepts, but then it just, you know, lockdown came and it just never happened.
1: Yeah. So going back to, to that, I mean, let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in the whole thing because you originally started out playing on Punky's solo album in 2016, right? Fallen Angel.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, and that was an interesting story as well because I I just done um, – far away from doing that, uh, I did the Radio Exile record with, with Chandler Mogul, and uh, Chandler just sent me an email one day, and he's like, hey, you ever hear this guy, Punky Meadows, his band Angel? And I was like, what? Hmm. So what, what are you talking about? So at, that, at the time, it was like everyone wondered what happened to the guy. Yeah. And I was like, MIA from the music business for like 35 years. Uh, and he's like, yes, yeah, he I think I'm actually playing on a solo record that he's doing. I was like, oh my God, I said, well, congratulations, man. That That's great. I said, of course I know who he is. And then, like ten minutes later, the light bulb went on in my head, and I emailed them back. I'm like, you know, do they have a keyboard player? <laughs> and, and at the time, they they actually did. They had somebody else that was going to do the record, and um, you know, I just said, just I said, throw my name out there. You know, I'd, I'd definitely be interested. I think I said I think it'd definitely be up my alley, although I hadn't really heard any of the material yet. It was a couple of days later. I got I got a call from the guys, and uh, I think Danny was the first one I spoke with. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just kind of chatted, and you know, this about my history, and you know, my, and my liking of you know, obviously Greg Jeffrey and, and Angel and stuff like that. And I'm trying to remember, I think he sent sent me a couple tracks. He said we're doing a record. He said, you know, we kinda of have some of the mind, but I'll send you two tracks if you can lay down some ideas. So he sent me over the two tracks and obviously I got my fingers crossed hoping that it's gonna be good. You yeah. know, because I'm cycling trying to commit myself to something that I've never heard before. And they sent me sh- the pr- price you pay and I think straight shooter. And I actually didn't even get a chance to work on them, and I got a call the next day, and they're like, hey, if you want the gig, it's yours. And I'm like, oh, cool. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, but then after that, I was like, okay, so we're, we're, we'll are we be up in two weeks. We're going to do the keyboard. We have 17 songs to learn. Yeah. And I was, wow. Whoa. <laughs> I had about two weeks to kind of create parts and kind of you know map out the songs a little bit and then the next thing i know i'm in the studio of punky doing a solo record that's now- really a
0: strong record I, I i can't say enough about it i was i was really floored by it when i heard it i didn't expect it to be as good as it was and i actually saw you guys with with mark actually when you played the bb kings the first and, show. And the, oh, the sh- yes. when Felix Robinson played a couple of shows, yeah, yeah. that, that was just a great show. And the songs came over so well. I thought Chandler did did a great, great job on on everything and on, on that
2: yeah. set. Yeah, That whole record was great. And like, a Price You Pay, I love. I mean, I just thought that was such a great, great song. It is. Yeah. And there's a lot of other cool stuff on there, too. And, you know, and Punky's playing was great. It's like, you know, to be gone... And out of the business for so many years, and just kind of come back with such a really good record and great playing, just you know, it was awesome for
0: him. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that show. Like I, it was, it, it exceeded all my expectations, and the record did too. I didn't expect the record to be that good. It had a lot of really strong songs on it.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy with what, what we came up with for it.
1: Now you guys toured toured a fair amount with that album, and then eventually things kind of led to where, I know Frank put out his solo album uh, right around the same time, right, as Punky, and then it sort of just kind of like almost melted into, you know, Frank and Punky being back together, and you guys started doing the shows, you know, Punky Meadows and Frank Domino of Angel, and then it just kind of, before it became full-blown Angel, right?
2: yeah i mean pretty much we we were going to go back out again i guess that was two 2018 so we did all the punky shows and we were going to go back out again for for punky's record we were we were, we we're scheduling some dates and believe it or not uh chandler was just really booked up uh for the dates that we were trying to do and we were just trying to figure out okay well what what do we do you know do we try to find another singer uh, to sit in for chandler to do do these shows and then, um, you know, we talked about it earlier, maybe uh, doing something with Punky and Frank, where, you know, Punky would be playing and Frank would have his band, and at the end of the night, they would come out and do some angel songs. But, because like you said, they both had just put solo records out. They both guested on each other's records. So kind of when this happened, uh, they just kind of made the phone call to Frank and and try to figure out, you know, what the next step would be. Um, and then they kind of agreed to... You know, basically use Punky's band and, and just, you know, add Frank to it and just go out and uh, and just do a handful of shows. I and mean, that's all it was really supposed to be. But it went really well. So the next thing you, you know, we added more dates here, going over to the U.K. Because Angel never played the U.K. Oh, wow. uh, or anything. Uh, so obviously, you know, they were anxious to get us over there, you know, because they'd never seen the band. And like I mentioned earlier, the U.K. fans really loved those, those first couple records. Uh, so it turned into that. And it was pretty successful. You know, and then we kept getting offered dates for the, for the next year. And then, you know, it kind of came to the point, I guess, Punky and Frank were thinking of uh, doing another solo record or doing a record together. And then, obviously, you know, there's always been the talks of an angel reunion. So, And, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, all the guys were, were contact. I know Greg and Barry and Felix and all those guys were contacted uh, about doing a new record. What actually happened, I, I really don't know. I mean, I just know I, I was asked that, you know, if Greg doesn't want to do it, would you be interested in, in doing it? And You know, of course, I said yes. And uh, and that went on for, you know, many months of them going back and forth, like, trying to figure out what to do. And then, you know, in the end, it was really just Punky and Frank. You know, and I, I think, you know, out, out of all the guys, they still really have the desire to get out there and play and, 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 and do the whole thing. You yeah. Know? I, you know. And I'm not speaking for the other guys because I really don't know the ins and outs of it. But you know, everyone has lives and, and different successes and different businesses, whatever. And I think that's kind of hard to to walk away and hop in a van and travel around the country with a bunch of guys. You
1: know? Sure. Yeah. Well, now getting going back to uh, talking about Greg Jeffreya, and I obviously you were he was a big influence on you, right? So who you know, Greg, and who else were, were your influences for you personally as a as a keyboard player and a musician?
2: Oh me, uh, you know, top four: Keith Emerson, Rick Wakeman, John Lord, and Greg Jafria. You
0: know,
1: uh, I could have guessed top, those four. Tom smiling <laughs> when he said that.
2: Yeah, top top four. I mean, be honest, like like Jeff Downs pulling pulling a very close, uh, you know, uh, right behind those guys. I always loved his playing. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Any any of the yes Kansas stick stuff. I mean, to be honest. A lot of people overlook Dennis DeYoung, and and, and he's a, he's an amazing keyboard, player tremendous as well, keyboard
1: really. player. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, he doesn't get the credit because he's always looked at as the songwriter and the singer. But it's like, geez, man, some of those parts. Uh, I remember like hearing the message uh, from uh, Pieces of Eight um, when it came out. and Just be like, oh my god. Man, well, Steve w-
0: set- Steve Walsh also the same thing. Everybody oh, associates yeah, Steve I mean- Walsh. Steve, Steve Walsh is a terrific keyboard player.
2: Oh my god! I mean, think about that. This guy, this guy's singing in the stratosphere. He's playing all these incredible keyboard parts. He's doing freaking handstands, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he's running like a madman, and and he just and he just keeps going and going and going and going. You know, it's like wow. Yeah, I mean, those uh, obviously, like I said, Greg, Greg was a big influence. Um, I kind of like I kind of got into Angel. Kind of, I backed into them. I mean, I knew who they were in, in high school. Um, and everyone talked about Punky Meadows' hair and, and all that kind of stuff. And I had the same kind of hair in high school and you yeah. know friend of Punky or whatever. Um, you know, and obviously The Tower and stuff like that. Uh, but I really didn't get into them and really discover the rest of the catalog until the uh, the first Jafria record came out. And yeah. actually, a, a friend of mine brought it over to me. He's like, oh, I mean, this is the guy from Angel. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And they kind of kind of backed into the other records. You know, I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, obviously... Uh, with my friend from around the corner had White Hot and Sinful because uh, that's more of my, you know, when I was growing up and what I was listening to. Um, but kind of like backed into discovering the other stuff and just and always loved Greg's playing. I mean, I love the Jafria stuff. I, I love the House of Lords stuff he did. You know, and it's kind of that's kind of my my style that that kind of, you know, symphonic layering keyboard kind of thing, you know. So it, it was easy for me to uh, to step into this. Well, well, I've always maintained that
0: angel I uh, personally, I think would have gone over bigger had they stayed together through the 80s because they really influenced so many bands in the 80s because the 80s was, again, like a, like a resurgence of the over-the-top theatrics and look. And had that band stayed together through the 80s, I, I think that they really could have been probably bigger than they ever were.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were poised, you know, for the MTV generation. Correct. Mm. I mean, come on, you got you got five, you know, great looking guys. Right. Uh, That's where show. I'm going with this, yeah. The whole, the whole image thing. I mean, think of what they're doing in the 70s with the state show and imagine what they could have done in the 80s. Right, with, the with, no,
0: with no videos. I mean, even if you go on YouTube and look for Angel stuff, there's, there's hardly anything. Right for a band that was relatively big because they were from that era where they unless you were a a super huge band, there wasn't that much accessible video. And that was a band that, as you just said, in 86, 87, 88. Oh, my God. You know, they were Whitesnake would have had nothing on
2: them. No, they would. They would have been huge. And and, and they were a great band. They were great players. They're great songwriters. Right. Unfortunately, it just fell apart before all that happened. You know, they just kind of, they kind of missed the boat on it, unfortunately. And but oddly for me, enough, <laughs> Jafria was the only
0: guy that really was able to circumvent his career through through the 80s. You know, like Punky kind of disappeared, so did uh, Frank and, and the rest of the band. And uh, Jafria mm-hmm. did navigate his career pretty successfully up until, I guess, he got tired of doing it.
2: Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the first, you know, the two Jafria records, you know, did real well. You know, the House of Lords records, maybe not as well, but things were starting to kind of change around that time. Um, but, yeah, he, he managed to keep the uh, the career going. You know, I mean, Frank – I know Frank had did some stuff. Um, I forgot. Uh, I think he played with Paul Raymond from UFO. They had done a project together. Yes. It, yeah. Um,
0: I Actually, um, it only came out on Japanese CD. I have that.
2: Yeah, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, well, Felix went on, to, to, uh, you know, being White Lion. I mean, he plays on the first White Lion record, and that kind of um, – went south so I mean he kind of continued for a bit and uh, I really don't know what Barry did I mean I know, I know Punky from just you know from knowing him now and you know talking all the time you know he he just got disgusted with the business and just came back east and just said to hell with it yeah no that's what most people did
0: but Jafria, Jafria had a good thing going with House of Wars but I agree with you as, as it got to around 90 91 ish 92 that's when I think he, he saw the handwriting on the walls with it and, and kind of left the music industry
2: yeah yeah i mean he's 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 you know we we saw him when uh i met him twice both times we were out in vegas and uh, and he's he's he is mr vegas (laughs) yeah no so i've heard (laughs) (laughs) so he's made he's made one hell of a career for himself in a different business right
1: well, now, getting back to uh, your earlier days, because you kind of touched upon that a little bit when we were talking about your influences, but when I got to know you personally, and the band I got to know you through was the band Shotgun Symphony. Uh, can you tell us like a little bit about the band, the background, uh, when you guys
2: started, and, and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that, was, that was a fun band. I mean, that was probably, I'm trying to think, the, the record came out in 93. Three, I believe right yes I had played with with Tracy the singer in a band prior to that probably from I think like 88 89 to like the beginning of the 90s you know just do, doing the circuit and we actually kept pretty busy for, for an original band around here and then that kind of fell apart so we kind of put shotgun symphony together um Ed the bass player I had known since high school I mean I had my first high school band with Ed and then uh you know we brought Mike and and Ron on board and uh, and that was great, you know. I mean, I think what we managed to do as grunge was, you know, overtaking, you know, most of the music scene. We kind of found a home overseas, right. where people kind of appreciated this music, and and we actually went from, you know, kind of being complete nobodies to, you know, wind up, you know, putting a record out and being on tour in Europe. Well, like the first, when the first record came out, we toured. I think we did the first tours about two months, two and a half months, then we went back and we did like an additional three months. Uh, throughout Europe, we, we'd actually gone got out. Excuse me, gone out with um, Ben Um We did uh, two European tours with them. We did some stuff with White over there, uh, Crown of Thorns, and it was great. I mean, I, I thought that was a, that was a really good record. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it, the record the way it came out was was really just the demos. You know, we, we had intended to go back in and re-record that, and actually, you know, in our opinion, make a record.
1: Yeah, I'd always heard that. That was basically the label at the time, was it now and then, just kind of approached you guys and was just like, let's just put it out as is, right?
2: Yeah, it was kind of like, uh, I think the catalog number was, you know, now and then number four. I think we were the fourth record they they ever put out.
0: Oh, wow. That was Mark Ashton, right?
2: That was Mark Ashton, you know. An old friend
0: of mine, I went to visit him in in, uh, England in '96. And I used to write for a magazine he had called Boulevard.
2: yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. And he sent me a copy of it. When I got it, I remember seeing. I was blown away by the music, but I hated the cover. It was like a black and white, almost like a Polaroid black and white picture of the band on the front oh. <laughs> on the front cover of it and then it subsequently came out in japan with a much better cover and actually rebought the cd just to get a better cover for it
2: <laughs> yeah we, we we begged them like after the first printing we're like i think like um i mean that's probably a collector's item because there was only a thousand printed on right the i still have it and, and which even i don't know if it happened to yours but i don't know how they did the cd but then like the uh, the writing started to like come off the cd itself
0: ah, so, yes uh, and and I have the T-shirt also because Mark Ashton had printed T-shirts up and he had sent me over the T-shirt which was the same cover of of the of the original album. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah, that that was a fun time. I I actually just reconnected with, with Mark recently. I mean, I hadn't really been in touch with him for years, uh, but he was a, a huge huge believer in the band. I mean, uh, I you know looking back on things, you know. He, he was a great guy. He really gave us a chance. He, you know, he brought us over there to do um, what we call the Gods of AOR. It was the first time they did the festival over there. And, you know, I think people were pretty shocked by us, you know, and, and um, you know, the record did really well. It went on to sell it, a lot of copies. Yeah, it did. It did, very, it did very well in Japan. And then just, you know, like usual stuff that happens with bands, you know, you get management and stuff and other people get involved and it just it gets pretty screwy. You know and I, I think if we would have stayed on track and did the right follow-up to that first record um, we would have done much better but you know this politics and stuff getting involved we wound up leaving now and then and and you know in hindsight probably not the right move because i remember talking to mark you know years after that because he had you know really good success with a band called 10 uh with this guy gary hughes right and i remember having a conversation with mark and mark was like that he's like that's was my intention with Shotgun shopping that that was that that's exactly what i wanted to do with you guys but you know after he stopped working with us he put all this attention to the 10 and they wound up you know selling a hundred thousand records in japan well 10 was a band that
0: he really put together by like a lot of local british guys and uh i'm not saying it to blow smoke up your ass but honestly shotgun symphony was was a better band you had a better singer uh I, I don't know about a guitar player because I had Vinnie Burns, but you had a better singer and I thought you had better songs than, than 10. Yeah, I, and, and I know from talking to Mark all the time, because I, I knew him really well, he loved you guys and he did want to try to take you to like a, a bigger level.
2: Yeah. And, and like, you know, he was, had no problem getting us on the tours, the, you know, the first couple tours we did over there, you know, very supportive. And then, and then we wound up going back for, um, the sea of desire record the last one we did we kind of went back to now right. and then but like at that point it was kind of you know things have changed you know you can't you can't really you know we, we couldn't capture the fire we had going from the first record you know i mean too much time kind of went by and then obviously now and then fell apart you know you know we tried a couple times you know mark you know you, you you've you've uh, photographed us for a couple of the reunion shows and stuff. yes yeah so it was every while we pop back out there and and try to put it back together and, and do stuff but it just it just never worked out we could never get all the guys on the same page you know to do something
1: now what happened with uh i mean basically and i was talking earlier with tom about this because we were trying to put the timelines together for the for when we talked to you tonight and you know basically 93 the debut comes out and then what was it 1997 that uh forget the rain came
2: out it, it may have been that long yeah i don't um yeah probably 96 because because like the record came out in 93 we really didn't tour it till 94. so like all 94 is pretty much spent on the road supporting that and then uh we had the the live record i think may have been like 95 it w- would have come out oh yeah the
1: live and, in london right
2: yeah and then i think like uh it's funny but i actually i got the tape sitting right in front of me because my old manager actually dropped them off not too long ago um, So that could be a project in the future. I've got all the master tapes actually to Forget the Rain and that live record with a lot of stuff that didn't make the live record. Oh, so wow. It'd be, nice, it'd be nice to kind of revisit that. But yeah, so we, we kind of did the Forget the Rain thing. I think it was like 96, 97. And then well, by the time it got the On the Line of Fire of Desire, and you're talking the end of the 90s already. Sure, yeah. Well, well, it
1: was quick. It kind of On the Line of Fire followed up really quickly, right? Because Forget the Rain was, was strictly only a Japanese deal?
2: Yes it was and I think uh, I think we had it distributed in Europe through some distributor or something but um yeah because I think at, at that point in time we realized you know in a sense uh you know we made a made a mistake doing that record and, and we wanted to try to follow it up quick with something ah. to try to salvage what was left of the career and, and the fans that we had um and I thought on the fire was kind of cool I think I thought it kind of bridged what we did um forget the rain and kind of getting us back to the the melodic roots but it's just weird. It's like we can never seem to capture what we had on the first record, you know. And sometimes I think when you try to run a band as a democracy and you got five guys all trying to get their input on there and, and given everyone equal space to do their thing, sometimes it gets a little bit disjointed, mm. you know, where, as opposed to when you kind of have some main guys that run or some main songwriters that kind of keep the focus of a record. So I, I think if if someone would have taken the reins a little bit more, and maybe produced those last two a little more. Um, they could have been stronger records. So who was the culprit for the second record then? <laughs> that, that's an interesting story. We, we're actually, what happened was we're actually, I don't know if we were rehearsing for the second tour. So we're staying in London. Um, we were just talking about this recently. We're staying at the, because uh, the guy Rich, who, who still texts for me, uh, did, did, he's been with me since the Shotgun Symphony days, So we were just actually talking about it because he was up here for the uh, for the Angel shows last week. And uh, we were actually staying at the the Kensington Hilton in London. Uh, we were rehearsing for a headlining tour that we were doing in the UK. Uh, and we wound up staying at the same hotel with um, uh, Steve Lukather was there, um, touring for his um, Candyman uh, record. So we wound up hanging, you know, every night we both come back from rehearsals and we, we would keep the bar open until like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And... uh so Luther was there, and and the guy, and actually one night Jeff Beck was there, which was was a pretty amazing uh, night. But but anyway, um, so his live sound guy was this guy Tom Fletcher, who actually produced Luther's record. We got to talking, and you know he, he kind of liked what we were doing. He liked us as as guys. He was like, you know, we should try to work on a record together. So we kind of engaged Tom to do the second record, and mainly because he had worked with Ingvane, he worked with Dockin and, and bands, you know, obviously similar to what we were trying to do. And then it just kind of went sideways, you know. Like we, we really started experimenting with stuff, and you know, Tom brought in a lot of influence of what was going on in the day. You know, we had a lot of friends that were. Um, it's, I think his friend had produced a filter record and a couple other records like that that were coming out. So we really tried to push the envelope, but I think we really overly pushed the envelope. <laughs> we kind of, kind of went off the fucking deep end, and. Uh, you know but when you you know you have management and all this stuff going on and, have, and a lot of money poured into that record, so by the time it was done, it's like we were, we were so far in debt that it was kind of like we, we almost kind of had to put it out. And well, that's kind of how it happened. And, and I'm not you know uh, saying you know we weren't along with it as well because I thought some of the stuff was actually pretty cool. You know, from an artistic standpoint and from a playing you know musician standpoint, there was some really good playing on that record, and I think it would have even been a uh, a better record if when we got to mix it we didn't kind of go over the top as well with like the way we mixed it. You know, that's why I, as I'm actually staring at the tapes right now now, it'd be nice to kind of go back in and give it like a really nice polished mix. Cause I think a couple of the tracks like you know Carousel of Broken Dreams of My Escape, uh, Waiting for the Sun and a couple of the other tracks on there really could sound pretty cool. And I think they even got more diluted just because of the the way people were mixing records, you know, overly distorted, distorted vocals, overly distorted guitars, and all that kind of crap. Yeah. Well, I actually
0: got to see you guys do it at Starland Ballroom.
2: No, uh, Birch Hill. Or Birch Hill. Birch, Hill. Yeah. Birch Hill. yeah, yeah, I mean, and I guess I thought it was really cool, I thought, I, I, I thought we were onto something, but it just, it just didn't happen, you know, unfortunately.
1: Well, you talk about Carousel of Broken Dreams, I, I saw you guys, I think it was at the Stone Pony um uh, maybe 96 ish 95 i want to say and i think you were
2: doing that song right yeah i mean that that was something we had started working on um like right after the uh the first record there are actually a couple songs like um I'm trying to think of the name of the other one it's originally called time after time and it wound up being called yesterday's gone once mm-hmm. it made it to the rain but that we were, we were playing in, in the set uh, the line we were actually playing on, on the first shotgun tour, you know, that was in the set. Actually, I think Time After Time was in the set on, on the first tour. You know, and believe it or not, On the Line of Fire was a, that's originally My Escape, and somehow it turned into that song. I, I still don't know how we got there from the other one, but that, that's how that one. I mean, if you really dissect it, you can hear some of the, the similarities between the two.
1: Yeah. Well, now, let's go to the the final Shotgun Symphony album, which was uh, Sea of Desire in 1999. And Tom and I, I think, are are both in agreement that that was a great album, great songs.
2: Yeah, I think I think with that, we'd finally figured out what we did good. You know, and I think... Uh, I thought Sea of Desire was a really good song. Um, I thought the production was better on that. Believe in Me was a great song. Oh, sorry, yes, yes, Believe in Me. and And that actually goes back to... That was written prior to the first record, and uh, and we had been playing that one, uh, you know, prior to releasing the first record. That's something we kind of went back and revisited because I always thought that was a really good song. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I like doing that—the version of Eyes of Anger on that—and I, I thought it was really cool.
1: That's a great uh,
0: song. You know, the, S-O-S, I mean, I thought, SOS, Dancing on Fire.
2: That. Yeah, yeah, Dancing on Fire was was really cool, and I really liked the way that came out. That that was pretty creative. So
1: now the basically that's it for shotgun symphony we're, we're basically almost into 2000 and what did you do after shotgun symphony
2: i had a bunch of kids i mean that... <laughs> <laughs> i had one too <laughs> i mean like 97 my my first son was born 99 my second son was born uh and i just came to the reality of like you know what, what the hell am i doing and to be honest with you, I after Shotgun actually, I I wound up uh, with Mike Mano from from Shotgun Symphony. We we had formed a band with fellow uh, New Jersey and uh, Russell Arcara from Prophet, and uh, we started playing, writing songs, recording stuff, and uh, we were actually being courted around by by Michael Kaplan, uh, who was running 550 Music, which was part of Sony at the time. Um, so we were kind of really hoping something would would have panned that with that. Did and you have a name for the project, or for the band? At the time, it was called Where's Mary. And we actually showcased for Michael once at um, someplace here in New Jersey, and then I think at SIR in, in New York a second time. Uh, he seemed real interested. He actually brought down uh, Glenn Burtnick uh, to work with us on, on writing songs. I remember Glenn coming down for a rehearsal. And then um, it kind of seemed like Michael was more interested in in, in signing Russell as a solo artist. Which for me, I, I was like, dude, I said, take the deal. I said, you know, these, these you know, I'm, I'm co writer on all these songs. I don't care who makes it. I just, <laughs> I just want, I want someone to succeed. Um, but he was very dedicated to the band and he didn't want to do that. And, you know, I, I just started losing interest, you know, I mean, to, especially after Shotgun Symphony, because that, you know, that was, that was pretty successful for us. I mean, you know, we're on MTV, you know, we're doing the tour bus, we're doing, outdoor you know festivals we're, we're doing nice sized theaters and then kind of coming back and, and humping my own gear and, and playing in front of five people in some right. club in new york uh it's very disenchanting you know sure and just kind of lost interest i was just like you know what this uh, I'm, I'm tired of following this you know I'm, I'm done and kind of i mean i didn't do much um I and mean, i did the um the bronx casket company records with with dd from overkill uh which was kind of cool uh, but that's like really the only sort of minor success stuff I had after Shotgun Symphony for for a long period of time. Yeah. Well,
1: it was funny because when I think back to the, the timeline of of you guys and and when I got to know you, I, it was probably around 2010. I think I had reached out to you some way somehow. I don't know through social media or whatever at the time. But I, I wanted. I was working for a website and I had this idea to kind of do like almost like a back in the day type of feature. And I reached out to you to kind of just talk about Shotgun Symphony, um, you know, what you're doing now, what, you know, the guys were doing, do you still talk to anybody, Uh, something like that. And it was really funny because we did an interview, right? And I think it was like literally a week or two later, you get contacted by Firefest to play, to regroup the band
2: and play again, right? Yeah. And lucky for us, that's because Soraya canceled and backed out of it. So, uh... Right. Yeah. I think i think karen reached out to me and was like what do you guys think about you know yeah you're right we did we just did the interview like yeah, hey what happened to these guys and then you know a couple of weeks later it was like hey you know you guys want to come over here and play which uh, which was good i i thought we played really well that night I, mean, I thought i thought that went over really good um it was a lot of fun and then there was the the live record that came out of it
1: right uh, the, yes
2: uh which i thought was a re- really good performance it was a great time and i, mean, I love those people and the, you know bruce me who was one of the owners over at uh, Now and Then. Obviously, he was doing the, the festival. And, and uh, Sue and Phil Ashcroft, too, who were involved in Firefest And, you know, I, I still see Sue every time I go over there. She comes out to see us when I was over there with, with uh, uh, Funky and Frank and then when we were over there with Angel. So it's great. I mean, it's like these long-lasting relationships, man, which is, which is really, really cool.
1: Now, th- then, I mean, that was really it. I mean, you just did the one show, right? And then that was kind of like just one and done, not not really doing anything more with the band. And, and some more time goes by. And then was it... Yeah, we, get she- the,
2: we, get the, we get the next phone call. Hey, you guys want to get back together again?
1: <laughs> right. Well, that, that was like, what, seven years later, uh, I guess Andrew McNeese reached out to you and said, hey, let's uh, let's do a box set.
2: Yeah, we, we started talking about that. And then, you know, he was doing his melodic rock fest, you know, outside of Chicago or wherever he was doing it for, for those couple of years. Um, and he asked us to do that. So, like, yeah. so I thought the box set was a really cool idea. Uh, it was great to go back in the studio with the guys, you know, just to do the re-record of, uh, of Carousel. And it was the first time we had played together since, you know, Sea of Desire. Uh, so that was cool. And that got us back together with, with uh, Alan Douches, who who produced the first record. Uh, so we wanted to make it special, like we said, let's just, let's go back and try to do like what we were supposed to do after the first record. And it was cool. I mean, that was a pretty massive project to to try to pull all that stuff together and find those tapes and, and try to make it sound really good. And then, you know, obviously Andrew asked us to do the, uh, the show and I, I forgot what year it was, 2000. uh, 2017. And that was fun, too. You know, that, that that was a blast. It's always great to play with those guys. You know, I
1: thought you guys sounded great, you know, especially a band that really uh, had played, what, two shows in the span of, like,
2: seven years. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and literally, like, for, for both of those, it's really just, like, I think, like, two rehearsals and go, you know. So it's, it's not like there's a lot of time spent trying to make it sound good. It's just, you know, you kind of just, you know, it's like muscle memory. You know, once, once you get in there, it's just like, okay, yeah, we can do this.
1: That's that was. I thought the show was great. I, I was uh, I was so glad that I got to see you guys like you know back in two thousand and seventeen at the Melodic Rock Fest show because you know being such a huge fan I got to see you guys in, in the nineties you know in, in the early days of Shotgun but they, you know getting to see you guys again that uh, was great I, and I you know I said the band I thought sounded great.
2: Yeah, no, it was fun. You know, I, I really enjoyed it because we got we got to do Generation Clash, which I don't think we'd ever played before that show. Um, and it's always something I wanted to do live. So I know we did that. Um, my, my memory's getting better. I can't remember what else we did that night. But I thought <laughs> there was some other cool stuff that we, we pulled out of the hat, though.
1: Yeah. Now, get, get you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, you you brought up the name Russell Acara, uh of course, from the legendary jersey band, Prophet. Uh, you did another project with Russell uh, called The Way, right? And that was
2: 2005 or six yeah that was uh that was a cool thing. I mean that kind of came from the the band I, I was uh talking about like after that kind of split up I'm trying to think how we even wound up doing that record um that that featured I mean, uh Steven Diacudis yeah, Stevie you know, D yeah Russell was working with Stevie and I had worked with Russell before and uh now I remember how this happened. I don't know if you remember a guy Magnus um who who yes. ran a label called MPM
0: yes I did I, I know him very well
2: yeah yeah Magnus Magnus is a great guy, so yeah. I think he out because he was starting this label called Tenzia. correct and yeah. um, I think he just did uh, Glenn burtnick's new record, and they were trying to do stuff that's a little bit more modern, um so I said, why don't we do this?" I said, no Stevie's working with Russell I've got a bunch of songs with Russell. why don't we combine like these songs together and, and put like a really cool project together and, and that's what we did um and we had some great players i I, mean, I know uh Near Z, uh, the drummer actually played with Genesis after Phil Collins left, and and went on to play with uh, Billy Squire and Chris Cornell and a bunch of other people. He played uh, a couple tracks on it. Uh, Ron from Shotgun played some drums on it. Uh, Dave Halpern played a couple tracks on on that. Uh, Billy Arrico, who's obviously an angel with me now, he he played a a couple tracks on it. And uh, I thought it was a pretty cool record. I mean, Stevie was really into making that record, uh, so it really sounded good. I thought the songs were really good. I think the problem was it took so long to make that record, uh, mainly because I mean Stevie was really putting a lot of detail into it, a lot of time into it, and obviously owning a studio and and having to run the studio in between making you know kind of his own record.
1: Yeah, well, he was like a jack of all trades, kind of like producer, engineer, guitar player, songwriter, right? You name it. A lot of stuff.
2: Exactly, and but what happened is it like it took over a year to make, um, and and to finish. That by the time the record came out, I remember Mag—I'll never forget this but actually, Magnus flew over here. He had another band; they—they they were showcasing for Universal or something. So we, we go into the city, meet me Stevie and uh, and Russell to—I don't know if we had dinner or lunch with, with Magnus or whatever—because uh, our record was ready to come out, like a couple weeks later. And he kind of breaks the news to us that a uh, Tangia just filed for bankruptcy, huh. and it was pretty much done. And at the time, you know. He thought he was doing us a favor. He said, but, you know, we're going to put the record out first. You know, you spend a lot of time, you know, doing this and we want to make sure it gets out there, which in hindsight was the biggest mistake because it's like, why put a record out when there's no record company left? So, I mean, it kind of died the day it came out and, and that was the end of that.
1: Well, now it sort of got a, a new lease on life, right? Because uh, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but you were involved or are involved now with a, a, a record label called Deco Entertainment uh and you just reissued the frequency of spirit album from the way right
2: yeah we did we went back in uh remastered it and we pulled out um a track uh light in your eyes that, that didn't make the first one so we added that as a bonus track uh so i thought it was kind of cool because i always thought it was a, a you know a, a very overlooked record i and do I too thought, i
1: thought it was a great great album with, with great songs
2: yeah and i thought like lost among the leaves was a really great song and um I mean, a lot of the stuff was great on that. Uh, Soul Earth Sky, I thought it was a really great song. Um, the um, All Right People had a, had a great riff on it that Stevie came up with. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just thought it was a cool record. But it's just, I don't know, just people didn't get into it like I hoped they would. Well, I think at that time, you know, probably
1: rock was a little bit dead, right? I mean, what year it was, was that? Right? 2005, 2006. Yeah, it was kind of a rough period. Kind of a rough period there, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, we didn't really, we never did a gig in support of it or, or nothing, because to be honest, we were kind of bummed out, you know, it's just like, a, you know, you think you're onto something, and believe it or not, there was there a pretty big budget for that record, I think that was the last, besides the Angel stuff now, like one of the last kind of semi-big budget records I had done.
1: So now, talk a little bit about Deco Entertainment, um, What what is that label and how did you get started in that?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting story. I mean, originally it was started by Alan Douches uh, going years back, probably not too long after you know we were working with him on the, the Shotgun Symphony stuff. Uh, I think he originally had started it. He did Glenn Burtnick's Palookaville record, you know, which came out in, in the mid-'90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the, the, the initial um, deco. And then when um, I kind of reconnected with Alan after working on the Shotgun Symphony box set, you Know we stayed in touch, we talked about kind of resurrecting the label, uh, so we did, uh, you know, for it's been going on for about two a little over two years now. Um, I mean, Alan's not involved anymore, but you know, he was involved when we first kind of relaunched it. It just really kind of took off, you know, it was kind of like, um, I think the first thing we did, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with Ted Polley, so I'd reach out to Ted because you know, I, I know he wanted to do his record that he put out on vinyl so th- i think that was the first thing that we did and then we did i think mike tramp's record after that and then we wound up doing steve walsh's record we were distributing and it just it just kept going we did dave bickler from survivor we did his record and then it turned into i forgot what we did after that electric boys uh we had done that record uh then we did Donnie v's record uh which actually did really well for us i thought that was an amazing record that he did um beautiful things i thought it was a, a great song and a great album and it just started taking off i, I wound up you know I, i've always had in whatever band i was working in whether it was shotgun symphony or the way or whatever i was i was always kind of the guy that understood the music business where i mean a lot of, a lot of musicians don't so i i kind of set up the whole thing wound up getting a distribution through warner brothers who still distributes us now and it just kind of turned into now a full time that's that's my full-time job
1: oh is it yeah.
2: okay was running deco entertainment and, we, and now we've got let's see what we got coming up we did uh, you know albert bouchard from uh voice the cult we did his um reimaginos record we have Imaginos two that just came out last week uh we got Imaginos three that he's working on that'll be out next year so we got to actually him and his brother joe have an imprint label with with deco so we do any anything to do with them you know goes through us we got you know 10 years after we we picked up uh we just did two records with them this year and i think they're going to be working on a new record next year I'm Trying to think who else it's, it's a bunch of cool stuff but we got um the guitar zeus album we're just doing the 25th anniversary of that i think we just announced it this week we just started the pre-sales on that and that's a a massive project uh we're doing a carmine you know it's a uh, four lps three cds uh martin, martin Popoff uh did the uh, the booklet for us, you know, a nice guitar zoo story, interviewing you know, a bunch of the guys and stuff. Uh, so that's an awesome project. Uh, and on a side note, you will be seeing a video that will be released for that, which I've had the pleasure to be in with Carmine and Tommy Thayer from Kiss and Tony Franklin and Kelly. That should probably be out in, uh, within a month. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, I mean, Car- Carmine is one of my all-time favorite drummers, so it's, it's really cool to work with him. Um, and then we're also doing Mark Stein from Vanilla Fudge. We, we're doing his new record um, that'll be coming out. Uh, we've got uh, John Elefante. We'll be doing his new record, which will be out next year. And I'm trying to think when well, I don't have the roster in front of me, I I we've all. Oh, and Tiffany, you know pop <laughs> Tiffany. We've got the re-record of I think We're Alone now we put out um, earlier in the year, and we've got a deluxe edition of her Pieces of Me album that comes out in December. And then we'll have her new record next year. So just a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening.
1: Everybody can check that out. It's DECO, D-E-K-O, entertainment.com, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, come check out the site. There's a lot of cool artists. And we don't just do um, hard rock stuff. We do jazz stuff. We've got the uh, Gil Evans Orchestra. If anyone knows who Gil Evans is, he was uh, Miles Davis' musical director and piano player. So uh, he's since passed, but his sons kind of keep that legacy going. So we we have that. We have a great jazz guitarist, Brazilian jazz guitarist, Ricardo Grilli, one of our jazz artists. We do some hip-hop. We've got the illegitimate son of Bootsy Collins, uh, Drew Down, uh, on the label. Um, So it's very diverse. You know, we've some younger acts. We've got this great act from Jersey called Cold Weather Company. Uh, They're kind of an indie folk uh, act that's uh, really good. You know, so we have some younger acts that we're developing, and then we have a bunch of the, uh, you know, the older acts where we kind of give them a home to release new music. Very good. Cool. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of like a multimedia thing. We, we got a lot of other cool stuff going on. We've been doing some live streams. Uh, we partnered with this other company for that. We just had 10 years after on last weekend. We've got um, another project I just did, uh, I guess, on the Brothers in Arms uh, with my friend Jack Frost. Got live stream with that. With, uh, I wanted to
1: touch on that a little bit because that was one of the things I wanted to ask about. Who, who
2: was involved in that? That just came out last month, right? Yeah, that was basically Jack's, you know, stay-at-home COVID project, you know, and um, he asked me to contribute some songs and to play on it. Um, and I just thought he got some really cool people. I mean, uh, Andrew Freeman is on there. Uh, he sang two tracks. Um, we did we did a video for that last to know, um, which is myself, Andrew, Jack uh carl wilcox from diamond head uh playing drums and uh alex jansen who's uh did some session work with the scorpions and, and Hardline, playing bass on the record uh there's another track i i think we're shooting a video for called um make you mum which is uh which i wrote with keith st john from uh you know kingdom come in montreal uh, another great great singer i mean he really did a fantastic job on the record yeah keith, uh, that's great yeah, and that's a cool track. I think we're shooting a video for that because um, Mick Mahan, who's the bass player at Pat Benatar, played on that, and uh, and Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon uh, played the lead on that track, okay. which he uh, did a killer job. And and then there's just a bunch of other great singers. Uh, Steve Overland from FM is on a track. Uh, Paul Shortino's on a track. Nick Walsh is on a track. Todd Poole is on a track. Jess Damon's on a track. So. Uh, it's a pretty cool record. It was kind of just Jack's idea of just kind of wrangling up a bunch of guys who were sitting at home and, and putting a record together, yeah. you know, and just kind of creating a community for, for people to work together. And we're already talking about doing another one, and maybe kind of keeping, keeping it as an ongoing thing with kind of a revolving door of guest players and singers and stuff like that.
1: Oh, okay. Well, there's something else I wanted to talk about, too, before we, we finish up, is, is the, your band, your project, Radio Exile. Uh, that album, the debut, came out back in 2015. Uh, what's going on with the band? Uh, I know you kind of were going to start on a second album.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, we, we did. We started the second album. There's three tracks completed, you know, mixed and everything. Three really good tracks, I think. We could just, at the time, never get the scheduling together. I mean, at the time, the guitar player Jimmy Layton plays with uh, Dennis DeYoung. You know between all his dates with Dennis at the time, it was hard to get him to come in and do anything. and Chandler, you know, who plays in a gazillion different things, we could just never connect, really to finish the writing for the record. you know and then in the midst of that, you know we launched, we launched Echo Entertainment, which take, takes up you know 120 hours out of my week every week, uh, and then you kind of add Angel into the mix, you know doing the dates with them and, and the records with them. to be honest, just cannot find the time just can't can't find the time to work on it so i don't know what we're gonna do we, we've actually talked about maybe doing kind of a, a reissue of the first one remixing a couple tracks and adding these three new ones on it as kind of a bonus thing uh I, I just don't think we'll ever get to to finish another record to be honest with you
1: wow i i enjoyed that the debut album i thought it had some really good songs on it and it was looking forward i, I... Did hear you actually did send me the three tracks of uh, from the new album and I, I loved I loved them. I thought they were, were even a, a step above than even the debut.
2: Yeah, I thought we were really cranking it out. And um I mean Kenny Ironson was great on the first record, but uh we brought in Michael Pond to work on the on the second one. And you know, obviously, you know, what a great player he is. And and I really thought we would really take it up a notch on the second one and and I don't know. I mean, we might, it might still happen. I just saw Chandler last week. He came out to the show. You know, so he always goofs around. When are we finishing the record? When are we finishing the record? To so, be, <laughs> yeah. it'd be, it'd be, be honest, it's just really finding the time. And I don't want to do something and just kind of throw it together. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just difficult. You know, even, like, even Jack with the Brothers in Arms thing is finding the time to record the tracks for that. Sure. And then I just, just guested on um, uh, Mark Mangold, another great keyboard player. I guessed it on on his uh, American Tears record, and he's doing a new record now, which is actually all keyboards. It's completely besides the singing, all the instruments are keyboards. I just three or four tracks with him for that, but it, it's hard to find the time because you kind of got to get in that creative headspace too.
1: Sure. You know? Well, it's got to be great to be uh, busy again, right? I mean, you had you know a period there you talked about in the later 90s, and now all of a sudden it's like you can't find time to do
2: everything you wanted to it's crazy and if you would have asked me like 10 years ago i to be honest with you mark i thought i was done i really thought i'd never kind of return into the business you know like i am and it's great because it's like every week something else opens up you know and and to work even from the label standpoint you know to be able to work with some of these you know great artists is is pretty cool you know and to hear i mean i can tell you like the john elefonte record when people hear this i mean you you think kansas put out a good record this thing is going to kill it i mean it's just He's got a couple tracks that I keep telling him sounds more like Kansas than Kansas does these
0: days. Well, if you heard some of his Mastodon records, they're very much on the order of Kansas, and some of them are even better than Kansas records.
2: Yeah, one one track on this new record is really good, and then and then we actually we got reached out to by, by Kerry Carrie as well because he just really? did his his Kerry's Cantata record. And he was looking to kind of expand the distribution on that. So, I mean, we're just, we're here to really help artists now, you know, matter no matter if it's, if it's a newer artist or an older artist, you know, I think what a lot of guys have done, you know, some of the older generation guys, you know, they kind of self-release, but they don't realize, you know, you don't necessarily need a record company. You need a team of people to help you, you know, and, and that's what we're here to do. I mean, we have a staff of people. We have a full-time social media person. We have a full-time person that runs our website and does our digital marketing. You know, and I, I think we do pretty well with the releases, you know, and it, it just, it just keeps on growing. We've got a couple, a couple things that aren't signed yet, but uh, for next year, they're just going to be some really cool projects. We've got one archival project that's just going to be massive. It's going to be really cool. And, Let me uh, ask
0: it, you one question as as we're talking, because I've been listening to this and, and digesting it all. What would it take to bring back, in, in your opinion, hard rock bands as, as I knew them and, and I'm sure you knew them, in the United States because I collect music from all over the world. I network with people all over the world and hard rock slash heavy metal, however you want to categorize it, melodic rock, is still fairly popular throughout the entire world except in the United States. It's like a a blank void. What, if anything, would be able to ever get that back on the map as we do it in the 70s and 80s and early 90s?
2: You know i i don't know i i think the biggest problem and this is from my experience from from doing all the traveling and and meeting the fans and stuff is just the the um the fans here just aren't as dedicated as the fans in the rest of the world you know i mean uh, you know i from from the shotgun symphony standpoint it's like you know know, we only had a very short run but you know every time i go back over there there, there's people that come out they're just diving and they'll do they'll follow you no matter what you're doing you know, and if you and if you come to their country or or city, state, whatever, you know, they'll be there to support you. I just don't think you have that here. And and if it's going to come back, you know, obviously you got you got the mega bands. They're they're always going to sell out, you know. But but to be honest with you, they're they're retiring, they're dying
0: off, or whatever. Well, we talk about this all the time. I mean, you're talking about heavy. There are heavy metal bands that are out there that are 70 years old, and and my feeling with heavy metal and hard rock is, if you look at from the late '60s through the '70s, the '80s, even early '90s, all the great music was created by guys in their 20s. Hard rock and heavy metal wasn't really supposed to be
2: made by guys in their 60s and 70s. You're you're right, and and unfortunately, it's like the 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 younger metal bands, you know, they're more and and you know, whether they're these they're, they're these um, math bands or whatever. I mean, bands like Dillinger Escape Plan. And stuff like that. I mean, it's it's heavy, it's aggressive, but it's it's not it's not the same. There's 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 not the next Van Halen, there's not the next um, Bon Jovi, for that matter. You know, and there's a couple of cool younger bands out there, and, and you just need the labels that are going to support them. You know, we like we have uh, we have these twin girls, a band called Dianthus, um, and I think they're really good. You know, they're metal. I think they both play really well, and it's melodic. Um, and you know, we're trying to give them a chance. You know, it's the only way they're going to get a chance is if we can get them out, and, you know, and on a tour in front of a bigger audience, you know. And for that stuff to come back, I, mean, I think it's more, you know, the, the package tours and the festivals, you know, is, is, is the only thing keeping it alive now. And I think it's the only thing they'll keep it alive in the future. You know, we've even talked, talked internally, uh, I'm talking about Deco here, is, is trying to put something together, you know, along the lines, you know, like what Mark Ashton did with the Gods of AOR or Firefest. It's like, what if we put together a couple of festivals where we can have all these acts on? Right. You know, we, we actually met with the, with an agency this week and some promoters about maybe doing something like that, you know, just to give it the opportunity to be heard. But then on the backside of that, you need the fans to come out and support it, you know, and sometimes that's not as easy. I mean, Mark, you were there when, when Andrew did his thing and, and that we played at. Right. I mean, you know, it was maybe half-filled. Sure. You know, yeah. And that could be the choice of bands because, you know, bringing over... Bands that are popular in melodic rock in the United States is a little bit different than Europe. You know, sure. like a band like FM being here, it's really cool because, you know, I don't know if they've ever, ever even been here.
1: No, but, I mean, that, for me as a, a long time fan of that band, and the first time, probably the only time I'll ever get to see
2: them. Yeah, so that's really cool, but like in the, in the same respect, they're just not going to draw enough people here because not, not enough people know them.
1: Right. But I
2: think if, if you put together a nice combination of bands, you know and i had this conversation with andrew it's like you know if you had fm and you also put like firehouse on or or warrant or something like that then you got a nice balance because you're going to have those bands that draw here and then you're going to expose some of the fans here to some of the european bands that may not be familiar with
1: yeah you know? well i think what wasn't and i don't know if, if i'm remembering this correctly wasn't fm uh supposed to do an uh an m3 show i don't know i mean they would be great at at, at m3
2: you know uh, i'm i'm surprised they haven't done it unless it's just the expense of getting getting them here i i don't know right yeah yeah that was i, I always mean, thought I heard that back a few years yeah. back i mean m M3, three m three is a great example i mean that that's a great festival they got a, a a lot of great bands but see I think they can expand like if the guys that did m three would give some younger bands a chance you know that that's the way you get you can keep it alive you yes. know get a couple of the younger bands that are Influenced by some of these bands from the late 70s, 80s, and let them play. You sure. know, and, and, and Getting in front of that audience, because that audience is probably going to like what they're doing, but a lot of these festivals don't give those bands a chance. Well,
1: uh, Charlie, this was a, a great conversation. I thought it was a really good talk. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to spend the last hour or so with us. Fill us in on all things from Angel and everything back in your career. I really do appreciate it
2: no thanks for having me yeah i'm surprised you're on for this long
1: (laughs) (laughs) you get lost you know you start talking about stuff and then uh you never know
2: (laughs) but that's what you need mark and tom it's like it's it's you know music enthusiasts like you guys to kind of keep this stuff alive and keep it in front of people you know it's about it's about a community and if everyone kind of bands together and keeps this stuff alive it'll keep going definitely well, yeah, you have to be. You have to do it the right way, and you have to kind of be unique about it, and do things that are a little bit different to keep people engaged. You know, and I, like I said, I think it's just more. Of, you know, the package tours, even for some of the older bands. You know, when we were talking, you know, Angel going out next year, and, and, and the booking agency we might use and stuff like that. It's kind of like you know, why why are we not taking out a, a younger band that that's developing? And I mean younger, like you said, you know, guys that are in their twenties. Right. You know, let let them be exposed to that audience, so they've got they've got a shot of doing something. You yeah. know, and Pat, even if it's three bands, let it be you know Angel and, and Stars and 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 an opening act in front that that's young,
1: yeah,
2: that likes doing this kind of music, and the audience would appreciate them. You know, and I think I think a lot of that it's up to the promoters to see it. And it's up to the bands to kind of put their foot down and say, hey, you know, we want to take out somebody new with us, you know, and give somebody a shot. Yeah, but definitely. You, for the whole tour, you know, Maybe if it's by region, you know, each region take out a, another nice you know, young act.
1: Right. You
0: know? Well, yeah, as, as you know, Charlie, it's testosterone based music, hard rock. And uh, what better group is the 20 year olds to put it forth? I mean, and I mean that seriously. And, and yeah, I go back yeah. to what I said that. that Every, if if you just sit back and really think about it, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Uriah Heep, I could go down the line. All their best records were created when they were in their 20s. And Absolutely. it says a lot now that we're, and, and, and I'm speaking in America, that we're sitting back worried about the, you know, if Judas Priest is touring, if, uh, you know, Night Ranger is going to do another tour. And it's nothing against these guys personally, it's just that there's about three generations removed and there's no replacements for them and that's alarming to me
2: exactly you know and i think i think it's the the responsibility to two of the record companies you know and i know a lot of these guys aren't even on labels anymore but you know you know back back in the day you know a label would be, like, hey we got another band you know, we're going to put out we want to develop this new band so what do you do you put it out with one of your successful bands right, right. because you're, you're trying to sell records you're trying to expose them to a new audience, yeah. I was having this conversation with 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 Mark Stein a couple of weeks ago when they, you know, when Vanilla Fudge took out Led Zeppelin, you know, and that was kind of the thing. You know, Atlantic Records basically said, "You're taking out Zeppelin. They're are our new band, and we want to expose them, you know, to a U.S. crowd." And that's what record companies did, you know. And I think you kind of need more of that, you know, and just and just to keep it going. I mean, there, there's a huge gap between the guys in the '60s and '70s. And then there's 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 none of these younger bands in their twenties or thirties. There's three generations.
0: They- Think about it. I mean, it, yeah. it was it, for the music that we love. And I mean, I've I've spoke to you enough tonight that I know you love the same things I do. Uh, the nineties, the two thousands, the two thousand tens. We're now in the two thousand twenties. It's it's a, it's a thirty year gap of consistent hard rock bands emanating out of the United States.
2: Yeah. And it's sad. there's actually another Jersey band we're looking at for DECA that are a bunch of young kids that are that are energetic and fun. So I'm I'm hoping we wind up working with them and try to get them out on some tours. Because I mean that that that's the future of music. You know, so if you're going to keep rock alive, you know, you got to get some younger bands. And I, to be honest with you, I can't, I really can't even name any. <laughs>
0: well, there's a whole bunch of them out of Canada. And um, before the pandemic, that there's a there was a real budding scene and. Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn slash Queens, with a lot of metal clubs, and and I was going down there on a regular basis at the time. I still lived in Staten Island, and there was a whole bunch of terrific Canadian bands: Striker, Skullfist, Cauldron. But the mm. the pandemic has really done a number on all of these guys because they they kind of lived on, you know, they were making money by constantly touring touring overseas right. and uh, it, it's really it, it's taken a, a, a bad to- a toll on these guys they're all all are in their 20s
2: hmm. that, that's it i'll have to check some of those bands out
0: yeah there's actually one when we go off the air i wanted to talk to you about one of these bands that i think that you would uh, really like yeah yeah absolutely currently without it they had a, a ma- they actually had a semi-major deal but lost it over the course of the, the pandemic
2: you can't tour. I mean, that takes away the good chunk of your revenue. I mean, who really makes money on, on record sales these days, right?
0: Yeah, and these young guys that, that were out of Canada, they were really starting to pick up in in, in Germany and Belgium, and, and they all, they they were getting their records signed on exclusive Japanese deals with bonus tracks. Kind of rem- reminded me back like in the in the day, in the, in the late '80s. And right. um, well, they, they've all gotten submarine by, by the pandemic because they haven't been able to tour. They can't sell merch, they can't tour. So it's... Uh, but I, I think some of these bands you would really like. They're like very old school, hard rock, heavy metal from from the 80s. Not, you know, with great vocals and strong songs. Uh, Cause I'm a vocals guy, you know, to me, I, I don't sacrifice vocals. That's why I never got into thrash or, or death or, or, or grindcore vocals uh come
1: first
2: yeah you gotta have a melody but what are you gonna sing to right
1: excellent well you know what let's uh before we uh you know we'll we'll close this off we again we appreciate you charlie taking the time here um if you want to hang a few minutes after we're done with this uh we could talk a little bit about that but again just thank you so much for for filling us in on on all things uh going on in charlie calve's life we really appreciate it
2: yeah, Mark, Tom, thanks. And, and for everyone, just you know, look out for the Angel record. You know, I hope it'll be out by March and uh, it'll be a cool record and, and a lot of touring next year. So,
1: Excellent. That, thanks, that's Joel. good news. It's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you.
2: Thanks.
1: Okay. Thanks.